What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. What is up, Wedgecast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter here, and I am recording with Rob Dort. So Rob has just an awesome story. He's a local West Michigan legend. He comes from the banking world. He started this company called Become Unmistakable, and it's all designed around employee onboarding, setting goals, how to keep employees not only engaged, interactive, how to help them just join the community of an organization and what that all looks like. So He's got a sweet story. Loved having him on. I got to give a cheap plug. Uh, the recommendation for Rob being on my podcast came from one of Rob's awesome employees, Pete Steen, who is fired up, fired up for uh, the world to hear Rob's st- story. And it's just awesome. So tune in. Enjoy. As always, thank you for being a listener. Rob, thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Rob, thank you for being a guest on the Wedgecast. Thanks for having me. So we got connected through this awesome character, Pete Steen. Pete Steen and I got connected because I actually had his dad as a professor. We've golfed a little bit, and Pete made the comment that you have an amazing story and you would just be a phenomenal person as a guest in the podcast. So here we are. (laughs) I hope I live up to that, but thank you. (laughs) So let's hear it. I would love to hear the story, the background, and just would love to hear, you know, where you're coming from. Well, I mean, the story, it starts with me being a small town kid. Um, Small towns may be a little bit generous. I really grew up in a rural area in Michigan, and that was where everything started. And and from very humble beginnings, my parents were two of the most wonderful people on the planet. Money was not an object of uh, their prior on their priority list. So 
whatever we did, we, you know, we really had to earn as kids, my brother and I very young. So that really, you know, is the starting point for me. And we can, there are many, many stories that come out of it, but I'm so grateful for that experience myself um, because it gave me what I needed really, which is a, a self-starters attitude throughout my life. Uh, my mom uh, is uh, just a, the, the rock of my world. I wish she were still with us, but uh, she is a story herself of perseverance and, and of remaking herself. And she's been or uh, was a very great example to me. And my dad was a serial entrepreneur, never educated, um, neither of them really, but they, um, but unfortunately his, uh, his career was also cut short because of illness. So there's a, a little bit of a sad story, but, but it's a, a beautiful one too that goes along with it. So I share that only because um, that, uh, that entrepreneurial spirit and that perseverance and willingness to recreate yourself that my mom showed was, is something that has carried throughout my life. So that's, that's the only reason I share that. So, so on, what, what, a quick question on that, if you're okay with it. Um, so with, with your dad being an entrepreneur and, you know, your mom's story of perseverance, did they interact together business-wise or was it like your dad was off running the business and your mom was, you know, supporting him or was it more a matter of, you know, they were kind of their fallback, you know, not necessarily talking about work or business or anything like that, but, you know, doing life together sort of thing. How did that work? I'm always curious about spouses with entrepreneurs because it's such an interesting road. It, it is. And I've, it's a, a great question and I'm not one that I've considered until this moment, but the fact is one took the place of the other. So my father started a business right out of high school. He did not want to go into college. His father did the same thing. And he was distributing things all over Northern Indiana. He's a South side Chicago kid. And he worked very hard, ran very hard, but developed at a very young age, younger than me, heart disease and ended up having multiple heart attacks. My mother uh, was a stay at home mom and, you know, again, not educated. But when my dad got sick uh, and lost his business, my mom had to recreate herself and take over the role of primary breadwinner for a family of four. So it was really something that she had no preparation for. She had to figure it out. Uh, she struggled. But at the end of the day, you know, my brother and I, you know, we always had that baseball glove that we needed. Uh, we had everything we needed and much of what we wanted. And we, we really never felt it. We felt really cared for, really provided for. But years and years later, looking back, see the struggle that she had. And, and this is a a little sidebar and you're going to, you're going to catch me getting emotional about my mom here. It's kind of fearful, but uh, I had the opportunity to write an essay about this exact thing. I was uh, many years later uh, applying to graduate school and I had the opportunity to share that with her. And I'm convinced that that essay got me into the graduate schools that I wanted to get into. And so I had a chance to basically share that message with her, uh, which was a, a really powerful gratitude moment for me. So. Jeez, what a story! That's amazing. So, uh, you know, for, for your your life, your path, kind of stepping in career wise. So, you know, from the humble beginning, sort of, what was the beginning of your career? Uh, the beginning of my career was stumbling out of the University of Michigan as an economics major. <laughs> I studied econ too, and I have the same exact. I, I, that's a good way. To, that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> so. Next from there is the fact that it was a pretty deep recession in the early 90s. So there really, I did not have a job. I was, you know, you think about people graduating from the University of Michigan without jobs today, and it's unthinkable. But 
it absolutely was the case back then. And so I maybe, well, this, looking back, it, it is an indication of kind of the entrepreneurial spirit that uh, I really enjoy today because I left with no job, moved to Chicago with no idea how I was going to get a job. It was just going to happen for me. Uh, and it did. So about two weeks after I landed in Chicago, I had a job in banking and I had a job in banking because they said yes. <laughs> so I don't know how your career started. Mine did not have a lot of forethought. And uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to start in what was a very, very low level position, making very little money, working incredibly hard. Uh, but those were the times. And so I was there and ready to do whatever I had to do to differentiate myself, to compete and to succeed. So that's where it started. And I was in an operations area valuing large corporate pension funds for a large bank right downtown in Chicago. And so uh, probably working 80 hours a week. I mean, it was a true sweatshop and very difficult. But I quickly kept my eyes open. I did reasonably well. I was you know, I received some good reviews. And then I kept my eyes open and got myself into a corporate banking program, a training program, which lasted a full year. And I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do. I've, you know, I found something good right under my nose. And, and so I went through that process. And that's what really started my banking career. So I did that for, I, I, I did banking, large corporate, middle market banking uh, for the next few years. Uh, decided to take a leap. My first, I would call it my first entrepreneurial leap. Uh, I was doing well at that company. Uh, that was at the Northern Trust in, in downtown Chicago and ended up taking a position with the Bank of America, right, also downtown Chicago, uh, with a new group that they were starting up that was really focused on um, direct selling of all of their capital raising products. So it was a very unique, very eat what you kill environment. And I thought, why not? So I wanted to try something a little different, a little faster pace accelerate my learning and there was a pretty solid reward if I was successful. So I kind of took that leap. And that's what I should say what really launched my uh, my banking career. The, the Northern was a phenomenal place to work. Uh, but that when I really threw myself out there and took a chance is where I really accelerated my learning and where I started to become more successful. So this sounds this this might sound terrible for a second, but I well, uh, I think I can frame it well. Uh, parents, on, or dad, entrepreneur, mom, rock star support person, and you saw the highs and lows of what it's like to grow up in a, you know, entrepreneur family, and then you choose to go into banking. Was that like, was there an element of seeking or desiring steadiness? I mean, I, I actually... Unlike a lot, I, I I think the banking industry is fascinating. I think it's really cool, but I also can see, you know, so it, there's just a steady component to it. So were you jumping into that simply because there was uh, some the form curious. of steadiness to it rather than the entrepreneurial side? It it really wasn't. I mean, again, I I got into banking because they said yes. And, <laughs> okay, that's and, it. I love it. <laughs> and so I was just really looking out. Uh, and trying to find the best opportunity to grow uh, and to challenge myself. And I've always, I've always just sought a new challenge, and that's a bit of my DNA. Uh, sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't, but um, that's why I went. And so that, when this entrepreneurial opportunity came up at the Bank, at bank of America, I jumped at it, and, and it worked out well. 
Uh, and so, um, kind of long story short, we, I worked there for a number of years before they actually asked me to move to Detroit, which is, I was then married to my uh, college sweetheart, Sarah, uh, and we've now been married for 23 years, but uh, she's from Detroit, and so they knew that, and they approached me about starting a business or, or expanding an office, rather, in Detroit, and so we started to consider it. Uh, the very long story, extremely short, um, that didn't work out. They wanted me to stay in Chicago in the end analysis instead of uh, moving physically to Detroit, and I decided that it was a more important move for family, that we make that move anyway, uh, and allow me to go to graduate school uh, at night, again, at the University of Michigan, which was my plan. Um, originally, my plan was to go at night at Northwestern in Chicago, but um, this whole move kind of changed that. So we ended up making the move for family purposes anyway, uh, and my you know, good time at Bank of America ended at that point. And um, again, I had a wonderful experience with those people there. So, so then I'm landing, you know, in Detroit and it's the year 2000. So, it, so at this point, are you thinking like you're looking for any opportunity you can to step into the entrepreneur world or at this point in your, your, you know, your life, or is it just, you know, what's the next challenge that I'm taking on, whatever that might be. I mean, were you thinking, you know, startup world, starting your own business, or were you still thinking, Hey, just next challenge. We'll see what it is. Yeah, not quite yet. Next challenge. Let's see what it is. I'm 30 years old. Uh, there were a number of banks because I had this big bank, big market experience that were in the Detroit area that thought this guy might know something. So it was actually really fun. I, I was, um, I hired on to another bank there. Uh, and I was in a much higher capacity than I deserved by far. But I had this, uh, this B of A Chicago uh, pedigree that people were interested in. And for right or for wrong, it kind of launched me into a higher level than uh, I deserved. So, but again, take the opportunity, do the best you can with it. And so I did. And I found myself pretty quickly uh, running it's a, kind of a small capital markets related business. Uh, I found myself running a handful of other, what I'll call orphan businesses within the bank, marketing, um, our public sector business, and a, a, a small, not so small business actually, that ran real estate investment for uh, the bank in the state of Michigan, which there are two arms within banking that generally can invest equity. One is the private equity arm, if they're doing uh, private equity investments and in operating businesses, the other being the real estate side. And I had an opportunity to run that. And that was a fascinating business, highly complex. Uh, and here's where maybe my entrepreneurial um, path really started to, to creep in. Within that real estate investment business, I had the opportunity to see through a mentor, um, a mentor who interestingly worked directly for me, but this was one of the first uh, or best mentors that I ever had, just a gentleman in the business. And he took, he was super patient with me and taught me this real estate investment business and um, which was a, something I'll always be grateful for. And in that process, I was able to identify um, a particular investment that we had made that traded on our state tax liability. I can get deep in the weeds here and technical, but the bottom line was we had invested in it so successfully that we had run out of the ability to invest in it because our tax liability was gone. So I was faced with an opportunity with noticing a very low risk investment that had no market besides us. I had the opportunity to develop a new security within my department, which had never been done before. And it had me 
traveling all over the, the company trying to get approval from tax departments and different heads in capital markets to roll out this new security. And I had the, the opportunity to not only create it, structure it legally, but also to find the investor base and then go out and sell it. And it was a very quick success, uh, very even, even surprisingly so. And it basically doubled the income from the department uh, that I was running. And so I, I was excited, you know, that was a, a first entrepreneurial success, but I was truly an island and no one really knew what I was doing. Uh, I didn't have a lot of support from a management standpoint and I was this baby of the senior management team at the time. So I found myself, and, and this to, to answer your question that you mentioned uh, much earlier, Matt, about when was the season that you had trouble getting out of bed? That actually started the season where I had some trouble getting out of bed. I found myself with this great business that I had developed after spending all the time to do it. And then a bunch of other businesses that reported to me and I was the baby of the senior management, but really I didn't have anyone around me or above me in the organization that was really focused on my development, on my success, or even knew that I had done anything special because they're just, they're really, there weren't any eyes. There was no platform for knowing what I was even up to. So I was this island and I was overpaid and underworked and I didn't get that backwards. So here I am at this time, I'm married, family of four, or excuse me, family of six, four kids at home. Uh, my wife had had to stop working because of my schedule. And, and here I am overpaid, underworked. And I was bored. I felt um, you know, really just kind of abandoned. And I was really struggling with being motivated. And so what that ended up becoming was I had a monthly meeting with the president, my boss, and stepped into his office. And on his mind was to talk about whether I might be interested in moving to another city and taking over investor relations. So let's give the guy, you know, the young guy a new challenge. And I said, I'm flattered, I think that's fantastic, but I came in here to resign. And I've had a 10-year entrepreneurial itch that I've wanted to scratch. And I wanna take this business that I've built and take it out on the road and partner with you uh, and run this for you, share the revenue, and also raise a private equity fund to make these style of investments uh, in a way that I think we could do even better. And so that was really the start of my true entrepreneurial career. I was 36 years old, coincidentally, the same year uh, that my father was when he founded his last company. And uh, off I went. And, but I, the one interesting thing to share about it is a number of people ask, well, where was my wife in all of this? I was overpaid, underworked, wife and four kids at home. And here I've got some crazy idea to go start a business when by most people's account, I had the world by the tail. And, and what did she really think about it? And the beautiful thing is, and she's this way to this day, she's the one that made me do it. So I really struggled with that decision because of my responsibility to that family, to my family. And she's the one who said, if you don't do this, you'll never be happy. You have to try it. And she used stronger language than that. Uh, which is great. Sometimes, so sometimes I, we need that. <laughs> she gave me the kick out the door that I needed and the support that I needed. So I did. I, that's where I led. It led to me 
resigning, starting this company, and uh, off we went. So now that was interesting timing because that was 2006. So we raised a fund. I had a couple of partners, a couple of staff that, that I uh, brought along with me, and we raised some private equity and went off and started investing in 2006, and then in 2007, and then in 2008, the wheels came off of the global economy. And so we found ourselves uh, scrambling to pick up the pieces. Um, it was actually, a, a, there's a good ending to the story, although it was a ton of work and a ton of learning. It was really an amazing learning experience. Understanding, it's one thing to understand how to invest on the way in, but to work out of situations where the world has no access to capital. Uh, I knew we were in trouble when we, we had done uh, a condo project. We'd invested in a condo project and there was a buyer who had a, a very, very strong financial backing that wanted to buy a $450,000 condo in our building and he only wanted to bring $250,000 of cash to the closing and get a $200,000 loan, yet he could not get that loan because the mortgage industry had collapsed. So we knew we were in trouble. We had to work out. We learned an absolute ton, and, and we actually ended up finishing um, our performance in the top decile of the industry, which is wonderful, but that only means we lost less money than others because we still did lose some money. So in that process of digging out, my phone rings, uh, and it's a recruiting firm out of Chicago looking for a CEO for a bank in West Michigan that was looking to do a norm, you know, a regular succession plan. Their founder was moving out of an operating role and they needed someone to step into the bank's president and CEO role. And so that started a long interview process that landed me uh, as a CEO of a community bank in West Michigan. And so that's what got me back home. Uh, and that's, um, so that's a lot of, uh, a lot of things, uh, a lot of trials in there. And there's, there's probably one, one quick story that's kind of important to um, my overall story that, so in, in uh, 2007, when I was, uh, we were just seeing the, the beginning of the end in the private equity business, uh, had a bit of a, a, a personal tragedy. We, um, you know, I mentioned my parents and we found out in, uh, on Labor Day actually, so good grief, it's coming up uh, in a couple of days, that my mother had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Uh, she was 64 years old. And so that started a very intense time uh, with, and she was in Florida, my brother was in Boston, I was in Detroit traveling, you know, on one-way tickets constantly, not knowing when or if we're coming back. And the, you know, it started this really intense time where we had to let my father know who at the time had had some severe health problems himself. And when he found out that, you know, his wife of 42 years or however long it was, I think that's right, um, was sick and potentially not going to be here, he basically decided that he was checking out. Uh, he stopped eating and he ended up beating her by five days. They passed away within five days of each other. And it was one of the most intense um, experiences that I can, you know, even describe. It was... Rob, I'm uh, so sorry. That's, I mean, that's... What a, what a tough, tough thing to have to go through. I mean, loss is never, loss is never an easy thing, but especially in that way, I'm sorry to hear that. No, I, I appreciate that. And I, the, the, the interesting thing is, yes, it's really hard, um, but there was a lot of, there were many 
beautiful lessons and faith-affirming things that came through this experience that have fed me ever since. So uh, it, it really, truly was something to behold. And I, my wife, again, to the rescue, uh, convinced me, and she saw it, the, the need to do it, because, because the two of them were on the same hospital floor uh, in different rooms, and she convinced me to write a journal for those last few days uh, that they were alive, and I did. And it truly you know, is my prized possession to this day. So we've um, talked about that and the things that we witnessed between them, again, faith-affirming things, were really, truly amazing. So I'm grateful for the experience, even though it was intense and tragic. Uh, but it is uh, it's something, again, that kind of shaped how I view taking risks. Even, um, if, it, you know, if that even makes sense, uh, they, that, that example was just it's something I've always fallen back on. So, so do you feel do you feel like that? And, and if, if this is getting too personal, uh, you know, tell me to shove it. But um, do you feel like that inspired risk for you or made you more risk averse? It, it definitely inspired risk more than made me risk averse, because you, when you when you're grounded by the perspective of what truly matters and you get to see, you know, an end of life situation with from someone that close to you, that perspective is reset. And any other failure, any other thing you might go through, uh, embarrassment, loss of money, those types of things, just pales in comparison. So it really, really grounded me in what was truly important and in my own values uh, in ways that it's taken me the, the 12 years that it's been. Um, I'm still realizing those lessons fully. So um, definitely has, has added to my risk I don't want to add it to my risk appetite so much as made me frame the perspective, frame some perspective around taking risk. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I'm, whether it's easy or difficult, it is powerful. And I'm sure there are people that can resonate with it too. So thank you for sharing that. Um, if you're okay with it, would love to transition into, you know, evolving the company today or, or maybe what, what led up to you wanting to start this company now? Well, Many things that I've experienced in the past around uh, managing people and being managed myself have really framed why we do what we do today. Growing up in the bank banking industry and being traditionally trained in business school, I've always been trained and experienced that people are just an asset, right? To be used to deploy to different activities to create shareholder value. That is the traditional mindset, one that we've come to describe as a very left brain mindset. Uh, it's pretty cold and calculated. So I found myself on that receiving end many, many times over. And I guess I will, I'll share one quick story. Um, I won't identify which bank it was with, but it was certainly, uh, you know, in, uh, it was in the last 15 years. But so I'm, uh, I'm new to an organization and I am a senior person, right? So I'm a manager and I'm part of a, an executive team that gets together on a regular basis to talk about the big issues within the company. And so I'm maybe two or three or four of these meetings in and I finally feel like I've got my feet underneath me. And so I prepare for this. I talk to some of the people that kind of work in my uh, frame of uh, authority and I, I learn about a particular thing that we might wanna pursue. And I'm sorry I'm being vague, but I, wanna, I just wanna give this um, the kind of framework. So, I go in, I do my, my homework, 
I ask some questions and I'm ready to ask a simple question when we get to this committee meeting. Have we ever considered doing X? And so I'm, you know, I'm excited, right? I'm ready to do this. This is my time to finally contribute something and it comes my time to speak. And I ask it very, I think, humbly and I say, you know, have we ever considered looking into doing this specific thing? And it's silence and uh, the, the most senior leader there says in a raised voice, are you out of your bleepin' mind? I'm there, I'm maybe four months into the job, and I have effectively my boss stopping me dead in my tracks when all I've done is try to be thoughtful and ask a question. And it really hit me in that moment that this is not the kind of leader that I want to be. So I share that story because I have now come to learn what happened there. That, that reaction or that, that reaction to my question and the way it was handled put me in a total fight or flight mode. I was frozen. Uh, I didn't know what to do. Any kind of creativity, any kind of real intellectual value was gone as I'm trying to work out how do I get out of this situation. And so I knew right there that this is just not what I can do in my own leadership capacity. I have to find a better way to bring people in so that the ideas that I was trying to express are actually supported in a way that many, many, many more of those ideas come forward. So that was you know, a point in my career where I, I just kind of tucked it away and said I want to do it differently. And I did in my own capacity. Now, I've had the opportunity more recently uh, with uh, starting another company, right? So I, I came here to join this community bank in West Michigan. We did sell the bank, which was a great thing for the shareholders, and it was a wonderful organization, and I had a great experience there. Um, but that put me in the position then to recreate myself, my mother's example, uh, and to take some risk, again, on myself, you know, that entrepreneurial example from my dad and what I learned in the past. And so I got together with a partner who was very like-minded um, and he, like me, grew up in a very cold industry in the commercial construction industry. And he had a similar experience where he had his legs cut out from underneath him. Anytime he tried to um, inspire people uh, and do things that were more about creating joy and success of the employees. And so when he found his time to take over that company, he had the opportunity to flip the switch and become very people-centric, and it took the company off and sent it to the moon, which is a great example. And so the two of us are very like-minded, and we decided, well, let's start a company together that really teaches people how to do this in their own organizations. And so we founded a company called Become Unmistakable. We developed a software tool called a UMAP that now helps teach and train leaders of all levels how to lead with a greater degree of connection to their people to create an environment where they can thrive, where they can come forward with their best ideas, their most creativity, their most innovative ideas, uh, and feel comfortable, related to, and connected to the organization. And so that's what we're all about. And it's, it's really been a fun, fun thing for us. Now, it's a startup, so it's hard work. There's plenty of risk. There's plenty of stress. But, you know, to, to go back to the get out of bed and in the morning question, um, and I talked about the season where that was difficult because I felt um, unchallenged. I felt 
uh, like an island uh, and unsupported. And, and I left out the fact that I, I didn't feel as connected to the work that I was doing. And today, we actually get to create the work that we're doing. And it feels fantastic. Uh, we're part of connecting people to each other within organizations. We're part of making organizations more successful by focusing on the success of the people in them. And we've gotten a great response, not just in West Michigan, but actually across the country. We're now doing business in 10 states and are exploring partnerships in more. So it has been incredibly gratifying for both of us to define how we want to engage in the workforce and to create something from scratch. So anyway, it's been, it's been a wonderful early ride. We're a two-year-old company. Uh, we're growing quickly. And um, I, of course, would love to tell you all you want to know about it, but um, I don't want to eat up all your time. No, it's all, it's all good. And and lo love to hear, love to, I mean, obviously, startup world myself, it's fun to hear other people going through it and the headaches and the highs and lows of it. So how do you take what you've learned, what you've experienced, and what your company does and apply that to the same exact management? Like, how, do you, how does that framework help set the way you want to be a leader? How, how, do you, how do you balance kind of what you're doing for other companies, but also interpersonally as well, too? So... The, the platform is really a roadmap for leaders to lead with greater connection to people. So the, the software itself is a collection of information about the individual, and it's authored by the individual employee, where they get a chance to you know, shout from the rooftops what their values are, what their unique abilities excuse me, are, what their personal goals are, and their intrinsic motivation. So there's, there's a ton of stuff in the software that speaks to who they are and allows an organization to personalize an experience to exactly what they enjoy and thrive on. Uh, at the same time, they're also authoring their own development plan to achieve their own professional goals as they define them. So we have an opportunity through this tool to teach managers how to celebrate the individual and their own diversity and authenticity uh, and provide the support for their development as they see fit. Now, at the same time, there is a very robust amount of information in here about what they're responsible for and how their performance is measured. And so we're teaching companies how to sit down on a quarterly basis and have discussions around performance that balance both personal and professional aspirations. And so when you do that, you're creating an environment where these people in your organization feel supported, feel rewarded, feel related to and known. And that creates an enormous amount of connectivity, of loyalty. Uh, we found with our clients that they have reduced their turnover rates, they've increased their engagement, and we're in the process of gathering information about how that is affecting their bottom line. Because we are strong believers that if you focus like a laser on the success of your people, that everything else will happen. Success will happen in your organization, financially and otherwise, and you'll just create a whole lot more joy in the process. I, I love it. I love the mission. I love the way that you guys go about it, and I love that it's a perfect balance between definitely, obviously, a business. You guys are you know, running a successful company, but also doing so in the matter of, like, hey, how do you get the people along the way? That, that, that needs to happen more in the world. It's nice to be part of something that brings people together when they're seems to be an awful lot of talk about division around the United States and beyond. So it really does feel, feels good to bring people together.
Yep, I totally, I totally believe in that. Um, so I guess the one, you know, uh, definitely a big question I'd love to ask is, you know, what is it? What's what's the influence you hope to have, both personally and professionally? Well, they, they really are combined, personally and professionally. We're seeking to start a movement toward creating more meaningful connections, and that is where the the mission ends, right? The organizational context is really the first thing we're tackling. Our software has application for people as well, in families, in teams, in boards of directors, in committees, in youth sports, in nursing care, in education. I could go on and on and on about how sharing personally, authentically, and transparently, how that can create just deeper relationships much more, much beyond uh, even the organizational context. Although, um, professionally, in the organizational context, we are really trying to change, um, you know, we're really trying to change the way people talk about each other, the way they talk about performance, and the way they support people in a meaningful way. Throughout, throughout the course of your life, obviously, you've had some very, very high moments and also some very, very challenging, tough moments to get through. And so, at the end of the day, you know, you, you've shared your influence, you shared what your company's doing. What is it that, like, truly, 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 like, if you could pinpoint hyper-focus one thing, what is it that gets you out of bed the morning the most? And I know you've kind of answered it a little bit, but, like, is there, is, there a, is there a moment? Is there a light bulb that you set off for somebody else? I mean, what, what is it that really kind of scratches that itch for you? Oh, boy. That is... I, it's a wonderful question. Um, it's one that I do contemplate, and there are many things that get me out of bed in the morning related to this business. Fear among them, uh, because we have to hit the ground running as hard as we can every day. Um, you know, I, I have to say that the gratification that comes from, at, at the core of what we do, right, creating meaningful relationships and connectivity with people and organizations, you know, at the core of what we do is we're, we're trying to teach people the power of vulnerability uh, in developing close relationships, which matters everywhere, right? And, and so it matters in organizations. And so what gets me out of bed in the morning is the thought that I can stand with or, you know, sit and talk with and help a leader understand. And these are leader leaders, like these are C-suite folks with storied careers and, and we've had so many touching stories that have come out of it where you sit with them and you walk them through this UMAP process, right? This collection of information about the authentic person. And we've had these folks on stage in big stages and in smaller team meetings, uh, in sales programs. And we've said to that leader, we want you to introduce yourself authentically through this process. And the feedback that we get from the power of that example, we, we have seen um, bank presidents, just coincidentally, we've seen manufacturing company leaders, uh, we've, seen, we've seen some folks break down at times, we don't ever desire that, but the show of vulnerability and the impact that that has on how people view those leaders is absolutely, uh, it's gratifying, it's tremendous. Uh, and I think we have changed the lives of a few leaders as a result and a growing number uh, because as soon as those leaders set the bar for being vulnerable, being authentic, 
everybody else in their organization follows. And it's, it's an amazing thing to watch, uh, and it's an amazing thing to see people come together at various levels of the organization and really embrace what we're doing. And, and that's, that is by itself so gratifying that it gets me out of bed every morning. And I've had those conversations today, right? I would have had one of those conversations just before this call with a large corporation. And, and we really didn't build our tools for large corporate America. Uh, we built it for small to mid-sized companies where those C-suite folks are accessible they have vision for how they want to treat their people, and they're not surrounded by structure. But we have had large corporate America get interested in us, and because it works there too. And we're not the only ones that, that believe in it. But it is, yeah, I tell you, I know I can go on and on and on. I'm sorry I'm rambling, but um, that is such a gratifying thing. Every single day we feel it, and uh, so we're going to keep doing it. You know, I, I have, I feel honored and humbled the fact that I get the chance to interview and, and talk shop with so many cool people but i would say sitting in a room and watching somebody go through such groundbreaking experiential and you know seeing their bosses and managers care about them and care about you know the impact and care about kind of the direction of where they're going as employees that would be pretty fulfilling work it is it is it's a lot of fun i love it well rob thank you so much for being a guest on the wedgecast is there anything else you want to leave the audience with no, thank you so much for having us, having me. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I've never done a podcast before, so thanks for making it easy. And uh, I hope some folks will check us out at myumap.com if I can plug that. Of course, of course. We'll send links. All, we'll send, we'll send, send out links and everything like that. So thank you so much. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll connect soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Matt.